0: Welcome to 2023. That kind of feels weird to say, I think. Um, but happy new year again. And it is, I like, I don't know about you, I like starting the new year off here at church. It feels kind of good to have the new year, first day of the new year, with our church family, singing together, praying together, uh, preaching, and, and listening. And so we're blessed with the opportunity. I hope that you can look back and say, Whatever happened in, in this past year, and a lot's happened uh, in most of our lives, that you can look back and say, "God has brought me through it. He's held me fast. He's led me through the ups and downs of this year." And I hope you can also realize that what an opportunity today is to turn the page and look forward to the new year. And we do that a lot, don't we? We we make people make resolutions, uh, whether it's related to your job or your family or your, your, your health. But there's no better way to start and to think about your new year than to say, God, show me something in your word. Show me something in your word to get me started in 2023. And John 15 is a perfect chapter. I'm, I'm so happy it kind of worked out this way. This is a, a great section of scripture to start off our, our new year. So be turning to John 15, and you notice that the sermon title is Abide. I actually have two sermon titles. Abide is the one I put up there. On my notes, I put, um, I am the true vine, which is what Jesus said. I am the true vine. And before we read it, I want to share with you that, that in Israel, grapes were a key crop. And so these people would know all about as we said earlier, grapes and how, how they work, and, and they were surrounded by vineyards and vines. And so when Jesus would say, I am the true vine in this passage, these disciples would, would hear that, and they would immediately be familiar with what he's talking about. It's like if I were to get up here and make an illustration about cornbread, as I did earlier, as I talked about the cornbread and the black-eyed peas and the cabbage, a lot of you adults are going, yeah, you know. It resonated with you. If I get up here and talk about sweet tea, for a lot of us, that resonates. I love it. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, and he does this talk about vines and branches, these disciples knew what he meant. Not only in a, in a physical sense, a spatial sense in what they saw, but in the Old Testament, the, the use of the word vine is there a lot. God actually calls Israel the vine. He calls them his His vine. And so uh, it's a very common thing for them to be thinking about this topic. And so I, I want to just say this before we dive into the text. For many of these disciples that Jesus is talking to in our text, they, they probably said, we are connected to the vine. And they probably thought, what they thought by that is, we're connected to Israel. And Jesus comes along and says, I am the true vine. I'm a, a new vine or fulfillment of a vine, and this is the vine you need to be connected to. So let's read it. In chapter 15, we'll read verses 1 through 11. If you're there, let me know by saying word. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman, or the gardener. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you, continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Let's pray. Father, at this time, we ask that you help us to clearly hear what you would say through the Scripture. Take away any distractions. Sanctify us as we think through your Word. Challenge us on this first day of a new year. Challenge us to abide in the true vine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as we dive into these verses, uh, we notice here Jesus gives us this allegory, this metaphor of a vine, and simply says, I am the the true vine. And and here's something interesting about this this is one of those I am statements of Christ. We've seen, I think, six so far I am the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, I'm the resurrection and the life, I am the good shepherd, I'm missing one, I am the door. And so this, I believe, is the seventh of those "I am" statements of Christ, where He says, "I am the true vine." And I like that word "true" there. That means Jesus is the the real deal, the genuine vine. He is He is He is not um, a lesser model. He is the best the best model. He is the true vine. And He says here that. His Father is the husband. His Father is the gardener. And so as we dive into this illustration or this allegory, we're going to see that, that God the Father is working as a gardener would or a vine dresser would with the true vine Christ and the branches, which is people like the disciples and us. So we have God the gardener. We have Jesus the true vine. And we have people, which are the branches. Verse 2. In verse 2, he introduces us to two types of branches. There's the fruitless and the fruitful. He says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit is taken away. Every branch that bears fruit is purged, that it may bring forth more fruit. So notice here, two types of branches, the fruitless and the fruitful. Now, this, I think, makes sense to everybody, to everyone. A branch in this setting is meant to produce fruit. And if it doesn't produce fruit, what good is it? And so Jesus says, and, and I can just, we can just imagine this farmer or gardener walking through his vineyard, and he looks around and he sees some branches that are not producing fruit, and it says here, he cuts them down, and he gathers up the fruitless branches, and he casts them away. It's going to go in more detail in, in a few verses, but for now that's what he says. He takes it, and he ca- takes it away, Cast it away. The fruitless branch is discarded as worthless. But then look at the fruitful branch. If you think about the gardener walking through the vineyard and he sees a branch that is fruitful, he's happy that it's fruitful, but notice that the gardener doesn't just leave that fruitful branch alone. What's it say in the Scripture verse 2? He, he prunes it, he purges it. One, one translation there could be that he cleans it. And so the idea here is that the gardener sees that branch that is producing fruit and he doesn't just leave it alone. He continues to, to purge it and uh, prune it and cleanse it so that it can produce more fruit. And so I ask you, church, even now, what kind of branch are you? What kind of branch have you been in the past year? A fruitful or a fruitless branch? And how do we know? How do I know if I'm a fruitful branch? Well, what what does the New Testament tell us about fruit when it comes to the Christian life? I would would summarize it like this. Repentance toward God, faith in Jesus, and holiness of conduct and life is fruit. How about the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Do I have a desire for the things of God, a love for God, a love for his people? That is a fruitful branch. A fruitless branch neglects the things of God. How important is this idea of a branch producing fruit? How important is it? In Luke 6, 44, Jesus said, You will know a tree, how? By the fruit it bears. It's that important. Look at verse 3. And so speaking to his disciples, just hours before Jesus is going to be arrested and and less than 24 hours before he's going to be crucified, he says to these disciples, there are fruitless branches, there are fruitful branches, but you guys, you have been cleansed, you've been cleaned through the word which I have spoken. Now if we think about the 12 disciples, I would argue with you that one of them was a fruitless branch. And so if you've been following along with this, and most of you have, is the fruitless branch still here at this time with Jesus and the disciples? He's not, right? Remember, he, had, he hadn't gone off to do his, his evil deed. So Judas Iscariot had gone off. He was a fruitless branch. But Jesus talking to these 11, these 11 that he had spent his time with for three years, he had prayed with, taught, shown by example how to do things, he says, you men are pruned, you're cleaned, you're being purified. And I love this. He says, you're clean through what? The Word. The Word. Remember when we studied back in John 13 when Jesus had washed the disciples' feet and we talked about how, you know, he would say, well, you're, cleansed. you're cleansed once for all, right? You're saved one time, but you still need to clean your feet regularly. You still need to wash regularly. It's this idea for all of us as believers that, yes, if we've put our faith in Christ, we are saved. We've been forgiven of our sin, but yet we need daily repentance. I would, I would say, I don't know, some of you guys might would agree with this. For many of us, having a confession of sin time in our service is a little different. It might feel a little odd to some people. But I would also argue we need not only every Sunday to confess our sin, but every single day. And we need to be in the Word every single day. Ephesians 5, 26 says that God would sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with His Word. And then we're going to get over in John 17, here in a couple months maybe, and Jesus is going to say this, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is the truth. We need to be cleansed. Jesus said to these disciples, You're being, you have been pruned, cleaned, purified by the words I've shared with you. In church, we need that same cleansing, and we only get it through the word. Look at verse 4. So he says, and he introduces us to a word here. Love this, love this word. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. What is the secret? To a branch producing good fruit. The secret is this it must stay connected to the vine. If the branch is taken away from the vine, it's dead. It's not going to produce fruit. So, what's the secret to a Christian producing or a person producing good fruit? We must stay connected to the vine. We have to if we're going to produce godly fruit. This word abide, by the way, it means to stay, it means to remain, it means to Stay steady to, to hold your position. It means to be resting on Christ, anchored to Him, fixed in Him, drawing from Him, and continually connected to Him. And I think Jesus is saying here to these men, these disciples, if you're going to produce the fruit that I've called you to produce, which is repentance and faith and a holy life, if you're going to produce these things, you must remain in me. Now think about this. In a mere hours, these disciples are going to be severed from Christ. He's going to be arrested, taken away from them. He's going to be crucified. Now, we do know after he resurrects, right, they do see him some there. But in Acts chapter 1, he's going to ascend into heaven where he now is. And I'm sure the disciples are thinking, how can we abide in him when he's not even here? Well, he's told us repeatedly in John, he's going to tell us again in John later, he sends a helper, doesn't he? In Acts 2, a helper. In John, we see it over and over again, the Holy Spirit who will come. And so it's through the Holy Spirit and through the Word that they and that we stay connected to the vine. So let me ask us this in application. How many of us in 2022... Tried to live life apart from the true vine? How many of us try to do things on our own apart from walking with the Lord? And if we did, did we succeed? I wrote this in my notes, and I wrote this for myself, so you can take it or don't take it. I wrote this. Who do I think I am? Question mark and I meant it kind of smart toward myself. Who do I think I am to try to preach or sing or pray or live apart from Christ? I mean, think about it. We need strength and wisdom, spirituality, grace. And who do I think I am that I'm going to get strength and wisdom and spirituality and grace on my own. The only way I can have those things is to be connected to the true vine who is the source of all those things. So I encourage us, church, abide in the vine. He, through him, through the word, through the spirit, will give us the strength, the wisdom, the grace. Verse 5, my favorite verse of this passage is verse 5. It's really a summary statement, a key verse he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think he's saying here, as, as we kind of just repeat what verse 4 said, in a sense, he's saying your, your will, your choices, your decisions, the thing you decide to do, they must expose yourselves to Christ. This is why opening your word is important. You must expose yourself to that word. You can't, you, you've, got, you, you've got to get into the word until the word gets into you, right? Exposing yourself to it. What a, what a definitive statement, though, this last phrase, when Jesus says, I you go back to the scripture there, Kendo. He says, apart from me, without me, you can do nothing. I mean, just meditate on that for a minute. Now, We can still do things. We can still live and breathe and move around, but can we truly do anything good? Can we truly do anything spiritual? Can we truly do anything that's God-honoring apart from Him? I would say no. He gives us the strength. He gives us the grace. He gives us the wisdom. This is a definitive statement for these disciples and for us to understand we are spiritually helpless apart from Jesus. This is a definitive statement that you and I can do nothing on our own. And I think we would all amend that also. all say, you know what, that's right, people need the Lord, I need the Lord, but do my actions reflect that? Again, looking at that verse, I am the true vine, you are the branches, if you abide in me and I in you, you're going to bring forth much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If we truly believed that last phrase, we would read the word. We would pray. We would seek to serve people. We would just do whatever we could to be a part of our church. You can't know God. You can't know forgiveness. You can't know eternal life. You can't know the blessings that he has for you if you're not connected to the vine, Christ. I wrote this, again, to myself, and y'all can take it. Do you really believe, verse 5, dot, 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 then live like it. Do you really believe verse 5? Then live like it. Let me give you one way to help you. Um, I've used this illustration before. I'm not sure what pastor even did this, but there was a pastor in Chicago, and he went to a church, uh, not a church member, a citizen's house who would not come to his church, and he was talking um, about church membership and coming to the church and knowing the Lord, and the man is kind of a wealthy man, a well-known man, he said, I, I, can, I can know God just fine apart from the church. I don't need a church. I just can do my own thing in life, make my money, and I don't need it, the church. And so the pastor stood up and he grabbed a pair of tongs. There had a fire out there, and he, he grabbed a piece of coal from the, from the fire, and he took it out and he laid it on the ground between the two men, and he sat down. And the story goes that he didn't even say a word. They both just sat there and watched this ember. They just watched it kind of die out. And then the pastor looked up at the man, the man said, "I get it. I get what you're saying." and the idea is right that that coal needs to remain in the fire to stay hot. If you take one piece out, leave it alone, it eventually will get cold and die and Christians, we need the church like that we need to be we need to if we're going to abide in the vine, abide in Christ, we can't do it unless we abide with each other. I don't believe so I mean There are certain circumstances of sickness and things like that where I know people have to have extended leave from the church. But for the most part, most of us will never grow like we need to grow in Christ apart from the church. Do not try to do the Christian thing on your own. And so I encourage you in 2023, commit. you have already off to a great start. Commit to attending as many services as you can. Sunday morning, prayer meeting, Wednesday night. Commit to serving, finding ways you can help. We've already had some people this week volunteer to help with our nursery because that thing is going to be full pretty soon. And so find ways you can serve and help, um, not just attending, but, but serving, caring, giving. We have things we want to do you know, financially with missions and things. Uh, every way you can, be a part, abide in the church, and that's going to help you abide in Christ. Verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, verse 2 just said a minute ago, if it's a fruitless branch, it's just cast away. Now, verse 6 ups the ante a little bit. Verse 6 says it's it's withered, people gather it, and they throw it into a fire, and some people take this text and they try to use this text to say that someone can lose their salvation. You ever heard that before? This is a passage, if I was going to, to believe and try to teach that you could lose your salvation, I would probably take this text and try to twist it to suit my needs. And That's what some people do. I want to give you three reasons why this text does not teach that you can lose your salvation because we believe that once you are truly saved, you are always saved. God saves you and God keeps you. Here are three reasons why, three rebuttals for that. First, the Gospel of John has already given us multiple examples, multiple texts that say if you're in the Father's hand, no one can snatch you out and things like that. I gave you a couple of examples up there. There are more than that. The Gospel of John, as a whole, clearly refutes that you can lose your salvation. Secondly, John 15 is an allegory. It's a metaphor. When you read an allegory, a parable in the in the Bible, you don't always take every minor point and try to build doctrine around it. You shouldn't do that. In an allegory, in a story in the Bible. Again, I told you the, the story before about my friend who... Uh, this is, sim- this is kind of an example that the Bible says Jesus got in a ship and went across the sea, and people got in other little ships and drove across the sea too. And this guy I know took that, and he had a sermon about those other, it's called The Other Little Ships. And he, he pr- preached it, discipleship, worship, fellowship, something else ship. And I said, no, all that meant was people got in boats and went across the sea. It had nothing to do with discipleship or or fellowship. So my point is, John 15, find the main point in it, which is what I'm trying to give you, which is abide in the vine. Thirdly, and I think this is important, notice that the unfruitful branches were never truly in Christ. I think that's most importantly. It says anyone who's in him, and, and so again, people can take that and try to twist it. But the reason they did not remain in him is because they never truly were in him. So an example is, again, Judas Iscariot. Everyone watching the disciples probably thought Judas abided in the vine. But we know from reading and seeing the story that Judas did not remain. Our scripture reading this morning we heard said something like, If if they were with us, if they were truly of us, they they would remain. They would not have left us look, this is so. This is such a big deal for us in our day and time, in my lifetime because of a couple things. One is the sinner's prayer where people think, if I just repeat these words that the preacher tells me to repeat, I'll be a Christian. And I've yet to find the sinner's prayer in my Bible. And I've got a bunch of Bibles. <laughs> now, it's okay to pray. When I was saved, I said a prayer. But I didn't just repeat a prayer after a preacher and think, I'm good now, right? And so we have misled people in many places. And so that's caused people to think, I said a prayer when I was 12, so I'm in him when their life shows over a period of time they never truly were in him. We've done this with, and it's similar, but easy believism. Again, I can just say a prayer, join a church role, doesn't matter how I live. Listen, we have, and I'm just speaking as we as like the American church and the southern church culture, we've set up church to provide easy opportunities for this. It's kind of crazy. We do the opposite, I think, of what the New Testament church did. It should not be easy, I'm going to say this again, it should not be easy for someone pretending to be a Christian To keep going to the church over and over again without them in the deep in their soul thinking something's not right. That should not be easy for them. But sometimes churches make it easy for them by not preaching the hard truth or by not being people of prayer and people of serious, joyful seriousness about God. So we kind of make it easy like it's just a club you can come into. So I hope and pray we won't do that. I hope and pray that we will strive for true salvation and and, and promoting true salvation and knowing that you cannot lose it. But it would be a terrible thing. It would be a terrible thing to think you're connected to the true vine and one day realize you're not. Remember Matthew chapter 7? Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says one day will come when people will say, Lord, I did all these things in your name, and he will say, depart from me. Make sure this morning you're connected to the true vine through faith and repentance. My sermon in a sentence um, comes from these first six verses. If you're taking notes, I would jot this down. Abiding in Christ leads to fruitful living. You will not truly be fruitful in your life for Christ apart from abiding in him. And you will not produce true fruit apart from him. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Does this verse mean that I can that prayer is like a magic, is magic. I can say whatever I want to say, and it's going to happen. Well, you know that's not right. Right? I can't just pray anything and it's going to happen. I can't say, Lord, give me hair, and then boom, it's there. If I could, I'd have done done that, right? For sure. That's not how it works, right? We know that. So that's obviously not what Jesus means. But he says, if you're in me, if you're connected to me, if you're connected to the vine, the source of spiritual strength, the source of spiritual wisdom, the source of spiritual power, if you're connected to me and my words are in you and you ask it, I can grant your prayer. I can Answer that prayer. And so if I say, I need wisdom for some decision in my life, well, if I'm connected to him, I'm more likely to get that from him. I need strength to handle this situation in my life. Well, if I'm connected to the vine, I'm more likely to get that strength from the vine. So you see the importance here of of abiding. I want to give you a prayer that every time you pray it, God can answer it. You ready? If you abide in Him, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Will God answer that part of that prayer? Hallowed be Thy name? Will He call us His name to be worshiped and praised? Yeah. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will God answer that? Will God make that come to be? Give us this day our daily bread. Does God provide for his people? Forgive us our trespasses as we, let me stop there. Does God forgive us our trespasses? As we forgive those who trespass against us, lead us not into temptation. Now, we have temptation, but he's made a way for us to overcome it, hasn't he? Deliver us from all evil. Deliver us from evil. Now, we still have evil around us, but God can and does deliver us. There's a prayer. Take a prayer from the Bible and pray it. Abide in Him. So my truth here, this next truth, I have four very quick ones. The first one is, abiding in Christ leads to fruitful praying. Abiding in Christ leads to fruitful praying. Any of us in this room, even from the smallest child, could word a prayer, right? Anybody. Anybody. Even if you don't want to do it in front of other people, I get that. But you in your in your room, on your bed at night, even the smallest child in here can say a prayer. Any of us can. And some of us can even stand up in the church and make it sound good. But only someone who is truly abiding in Christ can receive the strength and the power and the wisdom from Christ in prayer. We can't have a prayer that's just word, right? We need the heart and the connection to to Christ. There was a man in the 1500s, he was a Presbyterian named John Knox. And Knox was known as a man of prayer. And the queen of that day said this. Now think about this. She said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than an army of 20,000 men. I don't know anybody that prays like that. I'm more scared of the 20,000 men army, you know. But that should be an encouragement that, man, I need to be more about prayer in my life. And the reason John Knox could pray like that, that's the praying of a a man who is abiding in Christ. It's written in another place in James chapter 5, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Spurgeon said about this verse, prayer comes spontaneously, From those who abide in Christ, it is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. If we are abiding in Christ, we will be praying. Maybe not out loud in church, but we'll be praying to Him. J.C. Rowles said, Why is there so little power of prayer like this in our own time? Simply put, there is so little communion with Christ. Men do not abide in Christ, and therefore they pray in vain. Christ's words do not abide in them as their standard of practice, and therefore their prayers seem not to be heard. They ask and receive not because they ask amiss. amiss. Let this lesson sink down into our hearts. If we're going to pray rightly, we must abide rightly. Verse 8, he says, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so shall ye be my disciples. The idea here in this verse is that God is glorified and of course he is when when God's disciples, when his people are bearing fruit, fruit that points to him as great and him as gracious. Of course that brings him that brings him glory. When when God's people, when people go from being sinners to 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 saved from selfless, selfish to selfless, from earthly thinking to heavenly thinking, of course, that brings God glory. And what I like, one thing I like about this verse is it talks about here the proof. You, you could add this in there in that last part of verse 8. So shall you prove to be my disciples? What's more important? I remember this. The first time I ever came here, years ago, for, for a ran, random association meeting, I preached a message, and it must have been from this passage, I don't know. But I remember talking about this, and I said, what's more important, faithfulness or fruitfulness? They're both important. But the point I was making that day, and the point I'll try to make here again, is faithfulness, if, if faithfulness is just showing up, then that's half the battle, but that's not the whole battle. Because Jesus didn't say, you know, you can tell a tree by the faith alone it bears, but you can tell a tree by the fruit it bears. And so abiding in Christ, number two of these final four points, abiding in Christ leads to fruitful, God-glorifying discipleship. Fruitful, God-glorifying discipleship. We must abide. We must abide in Him to do this. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. This verse should be a whole sermon, I think. It won't be today, but it should. Jesus, the Son of God, says, As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Let me ask you this. Have you ever once doubted The love that God the Father has for God the Son as a Christian. Have you ever thought, I wonder if God the Father and God the Son really love each other, the Trinity, the Spirit, the three in one. Does the Godhead really, I mean, does God really love Jesus? I mean, he did send him to to die for us. Has anyone ever doubted God's love the Father has for the Son and vice versa? I'm guessing No. And Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. If we would not doubt the love that the Father has for the Son, then according to this verse, we must also never doubt the love God has for us. And that should be a powerful truth because we are weak, and we're prone to wonder, we're, pr- we're prone to worry, we're prone to stress. We're prone, some of us, to think, ah, oh, does anybody really love me? Or, you know, some people don't like me. Does God even care about me? And Jesus says, as the Father loved me, so I love you. John Owen, one of the great Puritan writers, said the worst thing you could do, the worst thing you could ever do is doubt the love of God for you. Don't doubt his love. He says here to continue in it, to abide in it, to remain in it. It reminds me of a couple of passages from Romans chapter 8 where uh, Paul wrote and said, God who spared not his only son uh, for us, how will he not also give us all things? Then it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then finally he says, nothing shall be able to separate us from his love. May the love of Christ motivate you and comfort you in 2023. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. Notice here this connection between love and obedience. It's a connection that cannot be divorced. It cannot be separated. Now remember the, uh, what's the old song? Uh, Love and marriage, love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage yeah we're changing that this morning love and obedience doesn't have the same ring to it but love and obedience love and obedience they cannot be separated and jesus says i've loved the father and i've kept his commandments and that's that's any good relationship right any good relationship especially a father son there's love and respect and obedience and and so we see here that We need to be about this kind of obedience. Number three, abiding in Christ leads to loving obedience. We need to love God and we need to obey Him. We can't just say, (coughs) excuse me, I'm just going to take, take, take God's love and never reciprocate love or obedience. That's not a Christian. A Christian gladly receives God's love, but they can't help but reciprocate in love and obedience. Finally, verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Let me give us our fourth and final point. Abiding in Christ leads to a joyous life. I hope we can all have a joyful, joyous 2023 we don't know what it holds, do we? We don't know what's going to happen. You can eat your black-eyed peas and cabbage, but you don't know what's going to happen, good or bad, right? We trust the Lord, but, but I do know this. If we're going to have a joyous year, then it's going to come through our connection with Christ and abiding in Him and being steady with Him and connected. Jesus, in this text, is giving these disciples hope. He's giving them hope and comfort. That as they abide in Him, He's going to give them everything they need to live. And I'll give you a final illustration. I'll have my phone with me. So we stay connected to these things a lot, don't we? I mean, it's you know, for a lot of us, it's too much, um, and. I treat my, my phone better than some family members, I think, sometimes. It's like, you know, your aunt's sick, and I'm like, oh, man, I need a check on her. It's like, your phone's low in battery. Where's the charger? You know, you're like, I need a charger quick. And you start running the house trying to find a charger. Why? Because when that percentage gets down to the red and, like, less than 10%, that's when my anxiety kicks in. I gotta get a charger. I gotta get the power back in here. I gotta be able to use it again, right? If, if something happens to your phone, we, we rush it to the Apple Store like we're in an ambulance, <laughs> driven to the Apple Store. We want, we know, to use it to be connected, right? We gotta have that power. And so the illustration is: if you want a joyous, joyful life, you can't let your battery run down to five percent. Your life battery, you gotta stay connected. And I want to say it this way. There are some of us who, we might start today, January 1, 2023, with a full battery of, of Christian life. But as the days and the weeks go on, we just get, it gets tough. And we let our battery begin to drain and drain and drain. And if you get down to 1%, it's going to take a while to, it could take a while to charge that battery back up. My point is this, charge your battery regularly. Stay connected to Christ daily through his word, through prayer, and through the church. Look, Jesus has talked about him being the shepherd and us the sheep. And a good shepherd cares for the sheep, but the sheep can sometimes wander off and hang out. He's talked about, you know, God's talked about him being the father and us being the children. And there's a connection there, but also children can kind of go off and do their own thing. But when Jesus says, I'm the true vine and you're the branches, this might be the most emphatic illustration of our need and dependence upon him constantly. A sheep can wander off. A child can go away for a while. The branch that leaves the vine is dead, has no source of life. Abiding in Christ leads to fruitful living Are you abiding in the true vine? I hope you will make this next couple of minutes a moment of prayer to just ask yourself, am I abiding in the vine? And ask God, help me, help me in 2023 to abide, abide, abide. Let's pray.